Maybe you started out this way when you were younger. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And then Metallica took it and made a song, Enter Sandman, and just ruined the whole thing for me. But, <laughs> but what is prayer? Have you really thought through it? I know we're taught to pray. Maybe some of you brought up in the church, you were taught to pray. And maybe you're, some of you guys are new to, new, to, new to the faith, and you're like, well, what it, I've tried it, but I don't know if it really works. And isn't it weird that we just kind of talk about prayer as something that works? And I wonder if even that mentality kind of conveys the truth that maybe we've got, we've got idea about prayer as being incorrect. Like, what's the purpose behind it? What's the, what's the right way to pray? I mean, should we stand every time we pray? Should we have heads bowed, eyes shut? Should I be sitting? Should I be in a comfortable position? Should I be on my knees? Should I be lame with my face to the ground because I'm before a holy God? What's the right way, the correct way to pray? He said, well, who would really argue about that? Christians would argue about that. What does it accomplish haven't you, haven't you prayed and they still got worse or they still died or the situation didn't go the way that you asked? And so you say, well, I'm praying and I have faith. And then how many of you ever felt this? Because Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell the mountain to get up and to dive into the ocean and it will and then it doesn't happen. And what's the first thing you think of? I don't have enough faith, right? Right? And so you feel guilt-ridden because of it. And, and I, don't think that was the, I don't think that was the point of Jesus' statement in that passage. I don't think he's sitting there going, you guys don't have enough faith. I think what he's saying is maybe we're supposed to make sure that faith, our faith, is response to what it is that God is doing and calling us to do rather than us trying to change his mind or change his ways. Why don't some of you pray? Why don't we pray more often? But also I think we need to ask the question, why do we pray? The purpose behind it. Guys, I'm thankful that we have Jesus who tells us in his word that we can ask him for anything. According to his will and it's ours. But we gotta make sure that it's according to his will. But I can, I mean, have the audacity to ask. To just go before God and ask and the thing that always, that always helps me in prayer before, when I go before God is this. I've told my boys, guys, you can ask for anything, but you've got to trust me in my answer. You can ask for anything you want, but it's not, you're not going to get everything that you want. But shouldn't we pray? But why should we pray? What is it? Why do we pray? And I wonder how often, like I said, there's nothing wrong with asking, but I wonder if that's really all that it's become. Here's my list. God, I need you to fix this as quick as you can, because we don't like we don't like uncomfortable, do we? I've, this is one thing I've learned. I, I thought, okay, God, I want to learn how to be content in any and every situation. But do you realize the only way that God can test whether or not you're moving in that direction is to take things away? It's easy to be content when I have everything around me that I want. But all of a sudden, when the air conditioner goes out, when it's this heat wave, I'm realizing I'm not content in any and every situation. You know who is? Our dog. She still plays. She won't leave us alone. Bring the ball. It's like 100 degrees in her house. Bring the ball. She wants to play. She's just going nuts. She's as content as ever. And I look at her and say, man, I wish I could be a Christian like my dog. Like she's learned contentment. Or she just is content. So if you're wondering, going, gosh, 
What's going on? Why are things more difficult? Is it possible that if we've ever prayed, God, help me to become content, and things get a little bit harder or you lose something, is it possible that God is trying to train us up to become more content? And so actually he's answering our prayer more than we ask, but what is the ultimate purpose behind prayer? And I think it's found in this. And it, was just, it just hit me when I, was, when I was sitting there. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, how did he start? He says, our what? Father. Our Abba. Abba is, is the Aramaic term of, the intimacy, of intimacy. So what a one-year-old calls dad, then maybe the ultimate purpose of prayer is to come into the presence of God for what? Intimacy. To communicate with the creator of the universe then what if it's not just about a list of do's and don'ts and please do, here's my task list, but what if it's just to come before him and start the conversation? I get to speak to him. He invites it, and I love that part in the video where loitering is encouraged. He's like, just stay here and speak to me. In Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12, he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future to hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. So again, why pray? It's like, I'll hear you. Okay, but will you do anything? God, I prayed about this for a long time. I mean, it's been a couple hours. It's been a couple weeks, and yet haven't some of you been praying for days or months or years? Wondering, God, I'm still believing because I haven't heard a no yet. I tried, I tried it, they still died. I tried it, they, they still left us. I tried it and God didn't come through. But what if the primary goal behind prayer is more about meeting with God than it is about getting more from him? What's about meeting him first? Because look at as he continues in Jeremiah 29. Go back to verse 11, down through 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me. Now watch it. You will seek me and what? Find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Guys, isn't it amazing that right after he talks about prayer, calling out to him and praying to him. And he says, and you're going to find me. Like that's the heartbeat behind what it is that we're doing when we come before God. We're going to find him. I don't know if you've noticed over the last couple months, I've had this renewed passion for prayer. But I've also confessed, guys, I'm not coming from a place where I'm victorious. It's like this isn't my strongest, quote unquote, spiritual discipline. This is the one that I've struggled with the most to stay focused on a topic. I don't know if you've noticed, sometimes that's a little difficult. But to be faithful in prayer But as I've been challenged, I'm like, okay, so why is it, and you know me and my love for the book of Acts, we'll get to that in a second. Why is it that the church of Acts was so effective? Why were they so effective? And when you read the book of Acts, you know what they did more than anything? They prayed. They prayed. They always prayed. They got together to pray. They're in groups to pray. They're in homes praying. They're in the temple courts praying. They just kept praying because I know that they wanted to connect with God, yes, and they believed that, they, that God could come through, but I also think this, they knew they needed him. You know what's hard in a, in a culture or in a nation where things seem, we've got, we've got stuff, like, we've got our, like we're pretty well taken care of most of the time. Isn't it hard to convince someone who has everything that they need Jesus? Isn't it hard to remember that, well, things are going pretty well right now, so... I don't want to spook it. I don't want to cause it to change. And so maybe I'll just do the thing I've always done. 
And all the while we've missed what it is. And so I, I have this renewed desire for us as a community to move toward prayer. But why? First, it's this. It's intimacy with God. And then I'm convinced that our intimacy with God will play out in a passion for his purpose. That when I have an intimacy with God, then all of a sudden, God's changing and massaging my heart. He's giving me this new heart, desiring the things that God wants. And what is it that God wants? Well, we know this. God desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. True? God desires righteous living. God desires for us to show compassion and mercy and grace to people who are in need, to take care of people, to be generous toward others. Even if they hate us in return, we continue to live like Jesus did. But it doesn't start with just doing the things for God. For the greatest commandment is not go and love people. The first and greatest commandment is to love God and then love people. And out of that love for God, we move into the great commission to go and make disciples. So I know that some of these things will be like, wow, this is kind of straightforward, a little upfront this morning. This isn't a slam. This is me also. As I'm reading this going, oh my gosh, this hurts my heart. I'm convicted. I don't be convicted by myself. I'm going to bring my closest friends. Let's all be convicted together and see what God wants to do in our community. Not just so that God blesses this, but that God moves in and through us to impact people around us. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said this. He says, the condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a grace-ometer, and from it we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. So I want to look at the early church, the blueprint. For those that are new, the blueprint for what I think the church is supposed to be is found in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. There's four things that, the, that they devoted themselves, the early believers devoted themselves to. Devoted means they kept devoting themselves to these things no matter what. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. They devoted themselves constantly to those things. Outside of that, this is all they did. And I love it. Why? Because it's simple. After those four things, they worshiped together daily in the temple courts. So they worshiped together, they took care of each other, and they hung out together. That's it. That's it. You say, well, were they effective? Well, the Bible says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So I would say that God was pretty pleased with it. Because I think that is the most beautiful, simple look at what the church is supposed to be. Not an organization, but a family, a community of people brought together to fulfill a purpose. It's not a business. It's the church. It's what Jesus meant it to be. When I look at that, I go, man, God, help us to continue to move in this direction. J.B. Phillips in 1955, in his first edition on his work in the Acts, the book of Acts, he's a Bible translator uh, back, in the, back in the day, and he said this, and it's a little bit long, but it'll be on the screen. He says this, it is impossible to spend several months in close study of the remarkable short book, which is the book of Acts, without being profoundly stirred and, to be honest, disturbed. The reader is stirred because he has seen Christianity, the real thing in action for the first time in human history. The newborn church, as vulnerable as any human child, having neither money, influence, nor power in the ordinary sense, is setting forth joyfully and courageously to win the pagan world for God through Christ. Yet we cannot help feeling disturbed as well as moved, for this surely is the church as it was meant to be. It is vigorous and flexible, for these are the days before it ever became fat and short of breath, 
through prosperity or muscle-bound over-organization. These men did not make acts of faith they believed. They did not say their prayers. They really prayed. But if they were uncomplicated and naive by modern standards, we have ruefully to admit that they were open on the Godward side in a way that is almost unknown today. Guys, we can sit and go, oh, look at all these. And guys, I was part of this. We go to all these conferences as pastors and ministry leaders and say, this is how you do things a little bit better. And it's like, who's being more innovative and more creative? And, and all of a sudden, as I'm sitting there going, man, I got to do all these things. 22 things I've got to put in in the next two days. I got to have it ready for Sunday. And what if we just push those things to the side, got back to the thing that God responds to, and we pray. We pray. We call out to God who can do the impossible, the inconceivable, the unthinkable. We simply pray. And if you'll, have, you'll have people go, Brian, it's, you can't just pray. And there's the problem. Because whenever we, pr- we refer to prayer as just prayer, it's then that we are conveying to everyone around us we do not understand the power that is in prayer. Right now I'm reading a book, or I finished a book. I'm reading it with a staff. Uh, fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Maybe some of you guys have read it before. Jim Simbala, he's the pastor of what's known as the Brooklyn Tabernacle now. And if you haven't read it, guys, this, I highly recommend it. And, even, and there's, I'm not gonna lie, there's some parts in there where you feel like you're getting slapped around a little bit. Like he just kind of drives a dagger into your heart. But he makes this statement, he says, pastors and churches have to get uncomfortable enough to say, we are not New Testament Christians if we don't have a prayer life. We are not New Testament Christians if we do not have a prayer life. See, Brian, I struggle with prayer, me too but it doesn't then give me license to not do it. And I don't do it because I have to. I should be going toward it in prayer. I should be going toward prayer. Why? Because I get to. Think about it. When you say, Father, the God of the universe says yes every time. Every time he's listening. We can come to him with anything we want. But I wrote this down in my notes. I said, prayer is not optional for the Christian. It's as necessary as breathing is to the body. This isn't like the last resort. Have you ever found yourself doing this? Some problem comes up and you're like, I've thought of everything. I did everything I can think of. I did everything. Everything I could think of. Nothing worked. So I guess I'll just pray now. Isn't it weird we kind of jump to that as the last thing? It's like, God, I got this. I know you're busy. You've been around for a while. I'm sure you're feeling a little bit tired. Why don't you pull back? Sit back in your sweet little throne. Kick the feet up. I got this. Watch what I do. You go through the 22 things that you think are going to fix it, and God just sits there and goes, at some point you're going to realize, at no point have I ever been older, and I don't get tired. And he's going to put us into things we can't handle. Why? So we'll actually go to him who can. So maybe, maybe at some point we will learn. Prayer is not optional. It's necessary. It's like breathing. Somebody say, Brian, I'm too busy. I mean, I know you're a pastor. You get paid to love Jesus. You get paid to preach. You get paid to read the Bible. You get paid to pray. Yes, I do. Sweet. I mean, think about it. It's like, oh, you get paid to pray? Guys, don't you want me to pray? It's like, like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to pray for my people. Just get over it. Guys, you should want me. It's like, yes, pray. Pray all the time. I should be in prayer constantly. But as long as we keep using this excuse, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. And I can do the same thing. Guys, for the longest time, 
For the majority of my quote-unquote career as a pastor, I have used that excuse. But you know why I was too busy? Because most of the time, I was putting more things on my plate than I had to so I could feel validated as a follower of Jesus. I could feel validated as a pastor rather than just sitting back and going, I've got nothing that I have to, be, have to do to be affirmed as a pastor. I can just love Jesus and know that I'm loved by him. Who I am is not dependent on what I accomplish. It's not based on how busy I am, how many emails I get, messages I get, how many speaking engagements I get to go to. It has nothing to do with it, guys. It's only been the last few years where I feel like God has freed me for the majority of my life from all of that to where I can sit there and go, I got nothing to do right now. Instead of sitting there going, hey, I worked all day, I'll go home, have dinner with the family, and then I'm gonna pull up my laptop so I can keep doing quote unquote ministry all the while neglecting the most important ministry, my home. For the longest time I did that. All in the name of Jesus. And it's convicting when the Holy Spirit reminds me of the words of Jesus and says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you what? Rest. And we don't know the word because we're too busy. And we can keep saying, Brian, I'm too busy. I get it. And there are seasons of life that are busier than others. When you got babies that are young, guys, you can't even use the bathroom by yourself. Like you can't really shut the door and just get alone with your phone. I mean, not with your phone, but just by yourself. You would never do that, right? And so I was like, mom, I want a sandwich. Um, I just need a, I just, I want it now. Oh, there's, and then there's a whole other thing. You got to discipline your kid, go through the whole thing. I get that. Isn't it amazing that there'll be something after that that just becomes busy and comes busy and busy and busy? And I'm so like, what, at what point do we sit there and go, I decide to follow Jesus and I'll say no to the things that aren't necessary and I'm not even called to do nor prepared to do. Why? Because God has prepared in advance the works I'm supposed to do. So how do I know what those are? Pray. God, is this what you want me to do? Because for some of you, the most godly thing that you could do today is when somebody asks you to do a really good thing to say no. Oh, no, no, if I don't, then I'm not what? You're not what? I'm not a good Christian? Because here's the thing, I think I'd rather, I think, well, I think God would prefer you to just be obedient than to become a quote-unquote good Christian by taking on things he never even asked you to do. Martin Luther said this. He says, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I'm like, how crazy are you? Like, out of your mind crazy? You're gonna go three hours in prayer and then maybe he had something that I don't. He said, I could never do that, but what if we just start it? For those of you like, I've, 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 I've encouraged you and I will continue to encourage you. Guys, get in the word. Get your face in the book. Get your face in the book. I can't stay focused or I don't have enough time. I say, okay, start with 10 minutes. And you watch as you give 10 minutes. He's like, I really want to meet with not to check the box because I'm a good Christian. Let's just us all know we're all jacked up. We're loved by God, saved by his grace, but we read the word to spend time with him. But you watch God start to extend the time. All of a sudden, your love for the word will begin to grow. But for those of you that are waiting, God, give me a love for your word so that I'll actually read it. I don't think I've ever heard him do that. What he does is like, get your face in the book and you watch how I'll grow it. I'll grow your love for my word. What if it's the same way with prayer? Instead of sitting there going, until I have this desire to pray for three hours, what if you start with 10 minutes? Focused prayer. 
giving him praise, praying for others. And then lastly, for ourselves. Brian, I don't have that much time. Okay. In 2019, there was this study done. The average American spends, guess what? How many hours a day on the smartphone? And like, oh, don't go there. This is ministry. I mean, I'm posting my life so the world can see how God is working in my life. Really? I mean, isn't some of, it's for some of you, not all of you, but isn't for some of you so that you can get the double tap like? They like me. The average American spends 5.4 hours a day on their phone. On average, 64 and a half minutes on Facebook. That's probably declining because it's not as popular. 48 minutes on average in 2019 on Instagram. So about two hours a day, just what? Brian, you just don't like social media. I, I've kind of grown to not. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's a sin. But have you ever noticed you start and you just kind of keep going? It's like, I'm just going to take, I just want to see what this picture is. And then they got you, right? Right when you say that, you scrub, I'm like, what's that picture? I didn't know that happened to them. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, he's bald. Oh my gosh, like what happened? To, why'd they shave their dog? It's like you start going through all the pictures. Oh my gosh, it's like, <laughs> and then you, you realize, oh, addiction's pretty close. No, it's not that bad. Isn't that the first sign of addiction? What if all of a sudden we put the phone down and we just prayed? What if, for those who say, well, I really do go through to see what's going on with life. What if, okay, I'll give you this. What if you start to scroll and the first person you see that you, they share a story, you stop and you pray for them. I mean, let's take it. The enemy, let's, let's use what I think the enemy wants to distract us with. Let's use it for the purpose of God. What if you prayed for each person as you're going through? Instead of just scrolling, wasting the time, what if we stopped and just started to pray? Or what if we just got rid of that and we're just like, okay, so how can I get to know people? Guys, you ever notice how closely we connect with people when we pray with them? When we pray for them? Which means this, in order for that to happen, you must become, I must become, we must be vulnerable. This is what I struggle with. This is what I'm hurting with. Would you pray with me? It's amazing how quickly a bond forms. Like I said, I'm not preaching from a place that I've arrived. I'm preaching from a place that I'm improving. But on Sundays at 9.15 when I show up to the prayer meeting now, like I'm making it a priority to be there. And I just sneak in because I was a little bit late the last two weeks. And I'm listening to them pray. I don't say a word. I just receive. I just sit there and go, wow. Like right now, they're speaking to God. They're bringing all of us into the very presence of God and God is listening to them. And God is hearing them and God is going to work and respond. And Man, they're intimate with God. And isn't that the point of prayer? And so we jump into Colossians chapter four. Heck, that was just the intro. Starting verse two, two to four, ready? Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make clear which is how I ought to speak. As I was going through my notes and praying through for this message this morning, I was, I was planning to go two through four, but then there's just so much just for one verse. You're like, Brian, are you really gonna land on one verse? Yes, so just verse two today. We're gonna jump into the rest next week or at least another one next week. Verse two. Or what do we learn from it? First thing. The first thing we see about prayer in verse two is this. Our praying must be faithful. 
Our praying must be faithful. Look at it again. Colossians 4, 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. To continue steadfastly in prayer. Not one and done. But how many of you ever struggled with this? If you've been a follower of Jesus for a while. How many of you ever struggled with this? How do you know when God says no? How do I know when I'm supposed to keep praying for something and when I'm supposed to let it go? This is, what I, this is the answer that I go with. Until God makes it clear that he said no, keep going. But when he makes it clear that the answer is no, then we say this, then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we must be faithful to it. That word, or that phrase continue steadfastly means to persist, to keep on with devotion. And guys, this makes sense. When you look at Acts chapter one, verse 14, all these with one accord, speaking of the early Christians, were devoting themselves to what? Prayer. Together, and I love this, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. It wasn't like the, hey, the guys, just us. Ladies, stand over there. We're gonna go hardcore to God while you just make us a sandwich. It wasn't like that. There's men and women coming together. Think the mother of Jesus, Mary, showing up for a prayer meeting. But none of them were talking to her to talk to God on their behalf. He's talk, she's talking to Jesus. She's talking to God. But they were devoted. They devoted themselves to prayer. Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Where are, the, where are the legalists or the recovering legalists in the room besides myself? Anybody? It's like you see that you're going, I can never stop. I can never stop. And so I need to keep praying. So you, and then <laughs> I've, I've tried this before. And so you just fill in the gap. So if all of a sudden you're praying and then there's this gap of silence, it's almost like you sit and go, I don't think God thinks I really mean this. So I need to keep talking. So God, thank, thank, thank you. Thank God. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. What do I say next? Thank you. We just keep, we just make noises as if God's sitting there going, unless you're always talking, I ain't listening. But what does the word say? Hey, when you go to the presence of God, when you go to his temple, go there to listen. Listen. In other words, there's times in prayer I just need to sit there. I go, I don't know what to say, God. So I want to hear from you. And then there's other times I'm going to pour up my heart. This is what I'm thinking and feeling. And, and then I'm going to wait to see if you respond. And if you want to, maybe you'll bring something to my mind that I've read in the scripture. The Holy Spirit will remind me of truth. But it, guess what it becomes? It becomes a conversation with him. Because isn't really what he wants intimacy with us? I love the fact there's just men, women devoted to prayer. Men and women who are followers of Jesus. Devoted to prayer. To pray without ceasing Guys, I think this is just an attitude of prayer. If it's, maybe some of you guys have, like, if you have a job, like, you have to get your work done. But you can be, as you're doing whatever your job is, you can all of a sudden bring God into it. It's this attitude of constant reliance upon God. I need you, God. Help me. Show me how I can, show me how to do this better. Show me how I can love this person well. Show me how I can help this patient more. How, show me how I can help my students more. You, maybe you pray before they get there. You pray while they're there. It's like, God, would you help? Why? Because I want to make an eternal impact. I want eternity to be dented. Today, because I was faithful to you, I can't do this without you. What would happen if we became like that? In the 1700s, there's this thing called the Moravian Prayer Movement. It came out of a time of persecution against Christians. 
And they found refuge on the property of a rich young German. They called him Count Zinzendorf. But that, there's about 300 that showed up. And out of the 300, as they were there, and all of a sudden, division broke out. I can't imagine that. Bunch of Christians getting together. You, you figure they always, got to, they always got along, right? Division started over doctrinal issues. So then all of a sudden, Zinzendorf jumps in. And he starts reminding them of what it's about. Then there's this revival that breaks out in this small little community of 300 people on his property. And then revival led to what? Prayer. So they, they realize there's 168 one-hour prayer slots in a week. And so they made a commitment. We're going to pray during every one of those hours. We need people to sign up for them. Now some of you guys that are not early morning people, if all of a sudden, can you imagine everyone signs up and you get there last? It's like 3.30 in the morning. Oh, this stinks. You're like the night owl. Hey, I'd go for 11.30, 12.30, but 3.30, nah, uh-uh. 6.30, that's even worse. Guys, you realize that they filled every slot with two to three people and that this prayer movement lasted for 110 years. 110 years, these people prayed Every hour of the day. So I take an hour and I go into prayer before God and they say there's two or three men and women in here praying. They would go to the place of prayer and they would pray to God. And then the next hour, we bolt. We get to go do whatever. And then the next ones come in and they pray every hour of the day for 110 years. And was, as I was reading this article, a couple quotes stood out to me. The first is this. The Moravians' hearts began to burn with the things that are on the heart of God. Their hearts began to burn for the unreached peoples of the world. Over a 15-year period, this small group of 300 Moravians sent out 70 missionaries who went and lived among unreached people groups, learned their language and culture, then told them about Jesus Christ. 15 years, out of a little group of 370 people went. Well, where did they go? This is the part that blew my mind. One of the churches that the Moravians started sent out 200 missionaries. One of the Moravian missionary teams voluntarily sold themselves into slavery so that they could identify with slaves and share the gospel with them. They were so filled with the spirit of missions, which is the spirit of Christ's self-sacrificing love. The Moravian brethren, led by Zinzendorf, were responsible for some of the most inspiring and sacrificial stories of missions history. Wow. A 110-year prayer meeting. What was Zinzendorf's heart like? Listen to this. He said this, I have but one passion. It is he, it is he alone. The world is the field and the field is the world. And henceforth, that country shall be my home where I can be most used in winning souls for Christ. Where did he gain that? Where did the people gain their heart for people that they would come to know Christ? Do you know where they gained it? Through a 110-year prayer meeting. So the first thing about prayer is that our praying must be faithful. The second thing about prayer is this. Our praying must also be watchful. It must be watchful. Colossians 4.2 again. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The word watchful there means to stay awake. That's the first one. Right there. Let's be honest. Let's be vulnerable. Have you ever, <laughs> you ever fallen asleep while you're praying? Yeah. And this is what we do. God, no. He's just putting me to sleep. 
he's just rocking me to sleep. And as I'm praying, he's like, this is so beautiful. And maybe at some point he's like, wake up. He's like, he would never, he knows how tired I am. You remember Jesus when he's about ready to go to the cross? He's praying. He goes about a stone's throw away from the three that he brought. Then he comes back. He's in agony. He's sweating drops of blood. He looks at the three. One of them who said that he would die with, die with Jesus if he had to. He looks at them. They're all conked out. They're all sleeping. And he doesn't sit there and go, aren't you guys cute? Let me get you a blanket. It's like he goes there. He kind of nudges them. Goes, get up. Guys, you got to pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You have to pray. Isn't it amazing how Jesus needed to pray while we needed to sleep? See, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Paul says this, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Guys, this isn't a judgment thing on anybody because I'm the same way. If I get too comfortable, guys, I shared on Slack this week, I just don't, I don't sleep super great. And this week got really hard. Um, actually, the last few weeks has been hard. And so I'll be doing work and I'll sit down and I'll start reading and this thought pops in my head. I'm just reading for prepping for a message or something. I'm reading through something and this thought goes, you're gonna fall asleep. And I'm like, no. And every time that thought comes, it's about 90 seconds later, I'm at my desk. You sit there and go, that's why you don't have a real job. I know, but it's just 90. It's, like, it's, not, it's not long. I don't sit there and go, oh, I need an eight-hour nap. It's not like that. But every time that thought comes to my mind, I go out. Then I wake up. I keep going. Even during prayer, if I get too comfortable, gone. So what is the best thing for me to do when I pray? A prayer walk, because I've never fallen asleep on a walk. <laughs> Ever. Every time. My eyes are open. Uh-uh. No, eyes, heads bowed, eyes shut. How dare you open your eyes during prayer? Guys, I'm, I'm talking to God on a walk. That's when I stay awake. That's what helps me. What helps you stay alert and stay awake in prayer and whatever that is, do that. Because that's part of what it is that he said that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be alert. We're supposed to be watchful. We're supposed to be intentional. Realizing that prayer is not a right to ritual, but rather an, an avenue to communicate with God. That there's no such thing as us just going through the motions. I know that for some of you, maybe you brought up in your denomination reciting the Lord's Prayer in the worship service at some point. And maybe you, maybe you actually really meant it, but does it really sound like when everybody's doing it that we actually meant it? God, we just want to thank you for today and thank you for all the work that you're doing in our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And we just kind of go through the motions instead of stopping going, our father, oh, I get to have intimacy with you. Like your dad, like I could tell you about anything and you're so holy. Like I can't even believe that I get to go before you, God. I'm, I'm sinner saved by grace and I get to approach you as father and yet you're holy and beyond me. All of a sudden you realize that the Lord's Prayer is not something to recite, but it's a blueprint that moves us into praying like Jesus. And so for faithful and watchful in prayer, the third thing about prayer is this. Our, prayer, our praying should also be thankful 
Our praying should also be thankful. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul says it here in Philippians chapter four, starting verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything. Ah, crud. Let's skip that part. Any control freaks out there? And it doesn't go your way. I've learned that about myself. When I'm supposed to fix something and I can't fix it, all of a sudden I'm the worst person ever. And I get so irritated. Instead of stopping and going, maybe I'm just not good at this. But if I can't control it, oh, God has been working on, that me, working on me about that for a long time. And I can, I can tell you there has been growth, but I'm not freed. Do not be anxious about anything. But, here's the contrast, but in everything, by what? Prayer and supplication. Why two different words? Why not just by prayer? Because again, what if the purpose of prayer is not just asking God for stuff? What if it's about me going, okay, God, I'm freaking out, but I remember you're awesome and you're able, you're all powerful, and I start talking to him about who he is. And then, I, then because I've done that, then I can ask him. So because of who you are and I know that you love me, could you do this? Could you handle this for me? Because I'm tired of freaking out about this. And then tomorrow, when I come back tomorrow and say the same thing, thank you for grace and mercy, and I thank you for your patience with me as we continue to move, and you're growing me, but God, I just really want you to take this. Would you help me to become less controlling? And the next day, I go back to him, not to repeat these same words, but to actually go and say, God, I really want you to change me. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Guys, can you think of the last time that you prayed for something you actually recognized that he answered and you thanked him? Guys, no joke. I was driving to, what day was it? Thursday. Thursday morning, I had to be out in Bakersfield to speak at a little Christian, Christian high school chapel. And I was like, I want to practice this, God. I want to practice praying because the sun was rising and there was clouds. And I thought, I haven't seen those for a long time. And so I seriously said, God, because I know you can and we need it, and just to show off, I'm, this is me in my car. This is me, and Miss, this is me and Timmy the truck. We're just driving along. I said, God, could you make it rain this week? I totally forgot about it. Friday, we, we were moving Tyler into college, and I get home, and I look at Kelly's car, and it's just it's like, it's like the sprinklers went on it. And I had no clue that at home, in Rancho, it rained for like five minutes, big, massive drops. I didn't know that until yesterday. And so all of a sudden, he told me, he said it just kind of in passing. And I went, I'm amazing. I made it rain. Now, I know I'm not amazing, but it's like, you sit there and go, well, Brian, I mean, that was already in the forecast. That's why your faith is so boring. Like I sat, I honestly sat there and I went, God, all I did was ask that it would rain. And it only rained, I don't, maybe it was just Rancho on her car. But it did it for five minutes, massive drops. I seriously just, it was yesterday, I just was, God, you were so rad. You didn't have to do that. It didn't, it didn't fix the drought. It's not like it's all done. But you just did it because I asked. It's like, it wasn't just for you. Oh, it was. Stop it. Maybe, maybe you're not seeing the answers of God because you're not asking of God. I was so excited after that because I thought if Elijah could do it, why can't we? 
It's like, well, let's pray for rain that's in the drought because then we can actually water our lawn again. Yeah, why not? Why don't we pray? But why don't we pray also that God does something even greater than just making sure that we can water our lawns? We pray with thanksgiving. So when I say, God, would you please and thank you that you will do your best work, even if it's not what I think it will be, I give you thanks. What if that was our attitude? Why? Because when I actually thank God before he answers, I am reminding myself that it's all based upon his mercy and grace and not my right to anything. So as the worship team comes back up to close us out, why do we pray? I think the first is this, intimacy with him. Intimacy with God. To just sit and enjoy him and then this will play out in, in passion for his purpose. But why we pray? It will impact how we pray. So we start with why am I praying? And why I pray will impact how I pray. So if my idea of prayer is just God fix these things, okay, it'll affect how I pray. But if I start with, hey, intimacy with God, Friends, there's a person in this community, I'm not going to embarrass her, but her, she loves prayer and she loves and believes in it. She's so passionate about it. And I just sit and every time I listen to her pray, I'm just like, God, help me pray like that. Help me pray like that. I was talking to a high school teacher over at the uh, Western Upland campus. He's been there for 16 years. He's also a pastor of a small little church community down in, in LA. I was chatting with him about something and I said, uh, he actually said, hey, can I pray for you? I said, I would love that. His name's Dr. Cruz. Oh my gosh, this guy's awesome. I'm gonna have him come in and preach. He's oh, just this black African-American just got some oomph. And you know what I'm talking about? Like that kind of preaching. I'm like, I want him to come in and just kind of wake us up. I love it. He said, can I pray for you? And friends, you know what he prayed over me? He prayed the Bible. As he's talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've heard that scripture, that scripture. That. He seriously is just praying scripture over me. When he said amen, I went, you just prayed the whole Bible over me. And he starts laughing. He goes, that's what my wife says. Why would you pray God's word over somebody? Because God's word is always yes. You pray what God wants. I was so blessed by that. So why we pray impacts how we pray. Prayer must be faithful, must be watchful, and must be thankful. And so here's what we're gonna do as we close out. For those of you, in just a second, for those of you that feel comfortable and you, you want to pray with others, I'm gonna ask you like I have been, if you just stand up against the blue, those blue things. And just be available to pray. And if somebody needs prayer, then just walk up to somebody. And as you're walking down, just say, God, who should I go up to? And this isn't like a, it's, like, Come to, it's, not, like, it's not like the voice. It's like, you should be with me. It's not like that. Just pray, God, who do you want me to pray with? And then just walk up to somebody, let them pray with you. What will happen? You'll get to talk to God. God hears everything that's said. You grow in intimacy with God and you get to know someone as you grow in intimacy with somebody else. That's how it happens. So for a moment, we're gonna pray. And then as I pray, you continue to pray. Don't just listen to me pray, you pray. Even if you start to say a little few things out loud, go for it. And then as we sing our last song, those of you that are willing to pray with people, if you'll move to the outsides, and those who need prayer, if you'll go to them. And then as we go home, what do we do? We pray. We pray. What if on the way home, turn the, turn, turn, the, turn the radio off? Unless you're a parent and you need that thing to go so the kids will stay normal, somewhat, let it go. Keep it going. But what if we just turn off the stereo for a second? We just prayed. We pray. Anything that comes to your mind, you pray. You pray, you pray, you pray, you pray. 
What if we make the Moravian movement look JV because we went for it? What if we became prayer warriors, people who actually believed in prayer and therefore saw the things that God wants to do in response to prayer? So you begin to pray right now. Let's pray. In a second, I'll, I'll close us, quote unquote. We're going to go into one last song. For those that want to pray, you'll stand on the sides. We're going to finish up. Father, I thank you that you hear us. Every word that comes out, every thought that is thought in prayer, you hear us. Your word tells us. Father, I thank you that you, I do not need to ask you to be with anyone, for there is not a moment in time when you are not with them. Father, I thank, that you, I thank you that you want to comfort those who need to be comforted. And God, I pray that they would experience your comfort whether miraculously by your Holy Spirit in them or by you sending one of your followers to them to encourage them and to bless them, whatever it is, God. Father, we pray for those who are in need and they're just physical healing. We pray that you would heal. We pray that you'd bring comfort to those who have lost or losing. God, we pray for your provision to come through at the perfect time for those who are worried about what's to come. Father, we pray for an enlarged heart for those who don't know Jesus. But that our heart would be after your heart. You told us to go make disciples. God, help us, fill us, anoint us, embolden us. Holy Spirit, give us boldness to proclaim your truth as you do the miraculous signs and wonders that you do. Father, you're awesome. You're holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give us today the needs of today. And God, thank you that you forgive us our debts, our trespasses, and help us to forgive those who have sinned against you or against us. And God, I pray that you would lead us not into temptation, but God, in your faithfulness that you would Deliver us from the evil one. God, in all that you do, and all that you will do, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, believing. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know. That's worship and that's praying.